Hi, everyone. This is Michelle Gale, your host of the podcast, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I wanted to let everyone know that I'll be winding down recording any new podcasts for the foreseeable future. I've taken a full-time position as a chief of staff at a company called Autodesk and have decided to clear away some space to leave enough time for family, friends, and self-care. This was a hard decision because so much of my heart has gone into producing this podcast, but I'm sure it's the right decision for now. So thank you for sharing your time with me over the past couple of years. I'm wishing you continued blessings on your path of mindful parenting. Your practice and awakening is the greatest gift you will ever give to your children. So here's to waking up one messy moment at a time. Enjoy the last few podcasts. Welcome to the podcast, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I'm your host, Michelle Gale, and I am here today with Oren J. Sofer. Oren teaches meditation and communication retreats and workshops nationally. He's a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council, where I do most of my retreats. He is a certified trainer of nonviolent communication, a course trainer at Mindful Schools, and a somatic experiencing practitioner for healing trauma. Oren also holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University and is the author of Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome, Oren. Thanks so much, Michelle. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really great to have you. And no, I haven't done that many podcasts on communication. The one that I did last year, I think, um, had a lot of people interested in it. So I'm really excited to have you because I think this is, I mean, this is an important conversation for anyone because we all have to communicate with each other, um, but definitely for, for families. So I'm really appreciating this, uh, the intention that, that that's behind this book. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of the things that's at the core of all of our lives that we all share in common. And yet it's the thing that most of us have the least training in. It's amazing when you think about how much we communicate every day and every aspect of our life and how little most of us have learned about how to really do it skillfully. Yeah. It's, it's just always surprising to me. And that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother podcast on our educational system and how like right. really this should be the core of what they're learning. Right. Totally. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why the, you know, the work that both of us do in mindfulness and education, why I think it's so important because so much of what teachers and parents do with children, it's, it's not learning math or English or social studies. It's, it's learning how to be human and how to really get along and work together that we're modeling when we're interacting with kids and hopefully teaching them too. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to be speaking today at the intersection of nonviolent communication and mindfulness, essentially. And so I would love to start, um, have you, you know, for those unfamiliar with nonviolent communication, if you could speak to what that is a bit, and then we'll talk about maybe your mindfulness and meditation background and how they connect it. Sure, absolutely. So um, to put it simply, nonviolent communication is, is looking at a, a question that I think is pretty core to being human, which is how can we speak and communicate in a way that builds more connection and understanding? Mm. You know, how do, we, how do we show up and express ourselves in a way that evokes compassion from others? And how do we actually listen to others in a way that opens our heart to them? And, you know, particularly today, as we look around the world, it's 
these kinds of questions have never been more relevant. And so uh, the practice comes from a man named Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, who grew up in Detroit in the 40s. And uh, he lived through the race riots in 43, where dozens of people were killed right there in his neighborhood. And it left a very deep impression on him, as did some of the uh, violent anti-Semitism in the neighborhood where he grew up. Mm. And he was passionate about trying to understand what drives some people to violence when their needs aren't met in life, while other people are able to stay connected to compassion and to the shared humanity uh, of, of with others. And so what he, what he found through his work, through his research, through uh, reading, being with Carl Rogers, was that the way that we think and speak has a huge impact on how we perceive one another and whether or not we will consider violence on any form as a viable strategy when things aren't working. And so when you say violence, that could mean physical violence and it could just mean words. It could. You know, one definition of violence that I really like, which comes from um, a philosopher and uh, conflict resolution leader in Europe, uh, Johann Galtung, is violence is any avoidable impairment of basic human needs. So it's a very, that's a very broad definition. And, and Dr. Rosenberg chose the word nonviolent communication very consciously and intentionally to place this, this practice, this process within the context of the nonviolence movement, uh, Gandhian nonviolence, Kingian nonviolence, because he saw it not only as a tool to create the quality of connection that we want in our lives with our children, with our family, with our friends, with ourselves, uh, but also as a tool for social change for really looking at um, how the ways we communicate and think not only affect our personal relationships, they affect the whole structure of our society. Yeah. Yeah. I'm appreciating that. And, and I'm also really now kind of appreciating its connection to mindfulness and to meditation. So um, would you share a little bit about um, you know, about how that came to be, like how this intersection between mindfulness and nonviolent communication um, came to be for this, for your life and for this book? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was a little bit serendipitous as a lot of things in life are. I started practicing mindfulness in my late teens um, and had a really solid meditation practice for five or six years before I came into contact with Dr. Rosenberg and, and nonviolent communication what I found was that I, you know, was having these really nourishing and meaningful experiences with mindfulness practice. Uh, but, but as soon as I opened my mouth, it would go out the window, <laughs> you know, particularly with, with um, coworkers, if there was any kind of conflict or difference and forget about family. And so, you know, I realized, I was like, okay, well, this stuff is great, but if I can't actually bring it into my relationships in my life, then that's not, that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. And so I was um, so excited and thrilled when I even learned about the possibility of communication training as, as a thing. I was like, oh my God, I, I didn't even know you could do that. You can learn how to do this better. This is wonderful. So, um, so then I started learning more about nonviolent communication. And what I found was that it was very easy for me to pick up 
the tools and the perspectives of nonviolent communication because I had such a solid base of awareness. And this is really, for me, what the intersection between nonviolent communication and mindfulness, one of the main intersections is, is that mindfulness provides the, the foundation, the, the prerequisite for healthy and meaningful communication because we need to be here first to understand anything or to have uh, an effective conversation. So, you know, if we just kind of pause and think about how many misunderstandings or arguments um, or difficulties we've gotten into in our life simply because wasn't a, one of us wasn't really paying attention, you know? Wow. So mindfulness, um, it creates the ground for connection and it also gives us a really valuable tool for discerning what's happening with ourself and what's happening with another and how to actually manage the strong emotions and impulses and judgments and thoughts that come up so that they don't run the show when we're having a difficult or intense conversation with someone. Mm, and, you know, on your card uh, for the book um, that you had given me on the one side, it says pause, one breath can change what you say next. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the one of the most accessible teachings for mindful communication is is just that ability to take a moment, you know, and check the flow of words and reactions and then actually consider inside, okay, what's useful? You know, what do I want to say? Where do I really want to come from inside? And that can change the whole flow of a conversation. You know, we can, you know, in two to three seconds, we can create so much pain and difficulty with words that take, you know, can take weeks or months to, uh, to clean up. And that, that pause, whether it's verbally or not sit hitting send on the email, you know, that pause can make a world of difference. Are there any little, um, you know, you know, a little practices that you can suggest and you can do this at any point throughout our, throughout our um, conversation, just to be able to stop, you know, and to say something internally or any mm -hmm. little like tips and tricks. I know our listeners really love to um, get little, little practice ideas. Is there anything that you can share that you yeah. use or that you've suggested to others? Yeah, totally. There's, there's a, there's a whole bunch and I, I have um, a whole chapter on this in the book, uh, which is very, um, very practice and tools oriented. It's basically wow. like a step-by-step -step guide for, for doing all this stuff in our life. So um, breathing is great. So being able to just take a, a deep breath. And one of the things that's great about using the breath to pause is number one, it signals to the other person that we're still engaged in the conversation, which is one of the trickiest things about pausing because it's not always socially acceptable or understood, but taking a deep breath, people recognize that we're processing something. It also starts to help regulate our nervous system because our whole autonomic nervous system is so tied in with the breath. So taking a deep breath not only creates a pause, it can help to calm us. Mm -hmm. Another tool that I really like to use um, is slowing the pace of one's speech down just a little bit. It doesn't have to be even noticeable, but usually um, when we get activated emotionally, we start to speak more quickly. Like I know for myself, um, positive or negative, like even when I'm excited, you know, when I get uh, inspired about something, my voice gets quicker. Uh, the the tone, the pitch of my voice gets a little bit higher. 
um, and I speak more quickly. So um, becoming aware of the pace of our speech and being able to slow it down just a little bit um, can help to regulate our nervous system, bring more mindfulness into the conversation. It can also have an effect on the other person. I mean, if we're doing it sincerely, if we're really you know, wanting to connect, um, it can start to have a steadying effect on the conversation. Uh, and I'll mention one more tool, which is a, a really great go-to, which is feeling your body. In particular, your hands or your feet where there's a lot of sensation. So feeling your feet on the floor, feeling the weight of your body. Those are great ways to pause, to remember to be here in a conversation. And what do you say to people who are like, you know, what do you mean, feel my body, feel my feet? Like, what, is yeah. that, what does that mean? <laughs> right. So it's so fascinating. So one of the things that happens, and this is, this is where mindfulness really has a lot to offer to communication training. When we're in conversation, our attention tends to go out to the other person. All of our, we kind of leave ourself. We leave um, what's happening, you know, in our heart and our emotions and our body. We, we kind of put everything out there with the other person. And that's a very unstable place to be in with all of our attention outward. So the process is, is one of um, actually being more grounded. So, you know, can you actually feel your body standing? Can you feel the weight of your body? Do you feel like you have um, uh, a center, you know, where you're um, not only grounded, but, uh, but clear in yourself about where you're coming from and not so much pulled around by the other person, what they say or what they do, but rather having choice over uh, how you're relating. And this is one of the main benefits of mindfulness is that the more aware we are in a conversation, the more choice we have. Yeah. Yeah. Choice is really important when you sense that <laughs> snap, you know, when you're with your kids and you can feel the tension rising and um, that, that feels very relevant. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, I emphasize a lot, and I think this is really, really important for working with working with kids and children, whether whether it's as a parent or an educator, um, is we all blow it. You know, we all we all lose it. And the the point is, is not to be perfect, but it's to be able to take responsibility and repair things later. And there's there's great learning in that and being able to say, you know, um, I lost my temper uh, I was feeling really frustrated and I regret that. It's not how I want to show up and how I want to be together. I want to, I really want everyone to be treated with kindness and respect. And I feel really sorry that I raised my voice or that I yelled or that I said that, or that I did that. And then to, to invite the other, the child, you know, to, you know, how did that feel for you? I'm imagining it was kind of scary and to actually process what happened. And that in and of itself is, um, is a huge gift and a huge teaching. I mean, we're deepening the, the, the attachment bonds. We're teaching our children that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to take responsibility for our mistakes. And that when somebody does something, um, that we can have forgiveness, that we can learn together in that way. Mm. Could you go through maybe a scenario? So I'm imagining, you know, a parent with a child who is, you know, refusing to brush their teeth, 
for instance, right? Just refusing to brush their teeth and there's a lot of drama going on and everybody's yeah. upset. <laughs> and I, my kid's a little bit older, so we don't, have, we don't have that so much anymore. Now maybe it's a little bit about flossing, but <laughs> we, we don't deal, deal with that much. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, was in, I was in tears uh, the first time I had to use mouthwash <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to say I was also in tears the first time I had to floss when I was much older. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I mean, what would, how, how would you walk through? I don't know if that's a good example. You can pick it it's up. It's a great time. example. It's a great <laughs> example. And so, so before we go there, I think it's important to lay out a few of the, like, the core principles behind right. nonviolent communication. Perfect. Um, so... So the first is that all human beings have the same core needs, all of us. Whatever country we're from, whatever our political background is, however old we are, that we're all human beings are basically motivated um, by a desire for fulfillment and that we do stuff because there's something that matters to us and we're, we're trying to get our needs met. So this is a really transformative perspective um, because what it does is it takes the the conversation out of the strategies, time to brush your teeth, um, will you please clean your room, to the underlying needs, not only for ourselves but also for the child. Why? What is important about this? Um, our conflicts happen on the level of our strategies. When we can identify our needs, we find the possibility of actually having real connection because we share them because they're common. Can so you name some? Can you name some needs? Abs- some fulfillment, but what are some of the needs? Absolutely. So we have needs for to know that we matter, to be understood, for respect, for order, for cleanliness, for beauty, um, for to contribute. One of the one of our primary needs, particularly that's up for children a lot, is autonomy a need for choice. Um, Another really central need, I I said it, but I want to emphasize it again, um, is our need to be understood. Mm. Our our need to know that we matter. And this is so important for for parenting because we can't meet all of our children's needs. It's not possible, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's painful. And what what we can do is we can give our our children the experience of feeling seen and understood for their needs, even if we can't meet them. And so this is where, you know, I know for myself, you know, if I feel understood, if I feel like somebody really gets what matters to me, I'm, I'm far less attached to having my way. Once I get that understanding, once I really feel like, okay, you get me, you see why I want this and why it's important to me, and you value it, you respect that. And so that's one of the main shifts that happens when we're using these tools is when we get, when we get underneath the strategies, the specifics that we want, the ideas we have for what we want to see happen to the deeper needs that are driving our behavior we feel understood and there's a lot more space um, to let go, to adjust, to be creative together for things to change and, and look different. So this is one of the core principles. Another core intention in nonviolent communication, particularly with children, is that we're prioritizing the connection. Now, in, in um, day-to-day life with other adults, what we're doing is we're, we're just trying to create enough connection to work together, whatever the context is. 
And that's going to differ if we're working at, if we're talking about being at work with someone professionally or, you know, being with our spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but with kids, we're really trying to take at the center this sense of, um, can we understand each other? And can I prioritize my connection with you over um, getting my way or getting you to do what I want? And this is really rare. You know, how, how often do we use conflict or difference as an opportunity to learn and to connect. But when we, when we don't do that, what we miss is the opportunity to develop the skill of making peace. Yeah. And, and we, um, when we prioritize connection with our children in these situations, we're increasing our own skills for making peace and we're sharing with our children some of the most profound lessons for being human, for being together on the planet, for, for knowing how to work together. So that's what we're really doing. So when we, when we get into that conflict of it's time to brush your teeth, okay? Can we remember, you know, what am I, what am I teaching my child? Every time we force a child to do something, implicitly we teach them that the person with more power wins, and that you live in a world where your needs might not matter. And so um, the more we place demands on our children, the more uh, we put pressure on them, you have to do this, it's time to do this, you need to do this, um, they're going to fight, they're going to resist, because that's what healthy human beings do <laughs> when, when, when we demand things of them, because, because we need autonomy. So... If we, um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to engage in a process of identifying both of our needs and teaching our children um, to consider others. And if we're placing demands, we're not giving them any room to consider others because they're going to be too focused on getting their own need for autonomy met. So we don't give them the opportunity to learn how to consider others' needs. So it's time to brush your teeth. So the first thing I would be focused on is changing my consciousness and my language around that. It's time to brush um, your teeth is one of the ways that we socialize our children um, to be disconnected from their sense of empowerment and um, genuine motivation and desire. You have to go to school. You need to clean your room. It's time to brush your teeth. These are the voices that we all internalize um, about that, that, that lead to so much depression and um, disconnection in our life because we're doing things because we think we have to rather than because we're connected to a sense of agency and choice. Mm. Right? The reality in life, if we really step back and look at it, is that we are always at choice. No one can make us do anything including our children. We can't actually make our children do anything. You know, we can, we can make them wish they had done something. Yeah. Um, we can tell them, we can tell them that we're forcing them, but really, and we have so much more power than they do. Um, but ultimately we can't actually force them to do something that in the end they, they concede, they become willing to because there's something else that's more important to them, i.e. at their, their connection with us. And so every time we, we force a child to override their sense of choice and agency, um, we take a little bit of that um, sense of empowerment in life and natural 
desire and agency away. So it's time to brush your teeth. I would want to be aware of that in a different way. I would be want to be aware of my needs. I would want to know, sweetheart, it's nine o'clock. Um, you know, daddy wants to get a good night's sleep and he wants you to get a good night's sleep so that you have a lot of energy tomorrow for school. Let's go brush the teeth. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Right. So, um, so now I have a choice. I can, I can express myself again, making sure that the child understands what my needs are, or I can empathize. I can try to connect with what's going on for the child. So if I were to express myself again, maybe I don't have a lot of patience right now. I would, I would maybe say something like, Oh, sweetheart, I am feeling so tired and frustrated. I could really use some support tonight. I don't have a lot of energy to do this. Is there any way you would be willing to, to come with me and brush your teeth right now? Right? So a plea, a plea to say like, listen, I could really use some help. Right? And then the child says, no, I don't want to. Okay, deep breath. So there's something inside that really doesn't want to brush your teeth right now. Are you wanting to play some more? No. Oh. Are you wanting to spend more time with daddy? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was working really late today. I didn't get home until late. It's so meaningful for me when we get to spend time together. Is it meaningful for you too? Yeah. Yeah, I love you, sweetheart. These moments are so precious for me. I want us to be able to spend more time together too. You know what? how about I make a really strong effort to come home tomorrow right at the end of the day and we can spend some time. We can read some stories or go play outside. How does that sound to you? Yeah. Okay. How about now? Are you ready to go brush your teeth now? Yeah, dad. Mm. So that's, that's like one way it might look, right? We don't know why the child is saying no unless we inquire what do they need What's happening for them inside, right? Do they want to play more? Do they want to spend more time with us? Have they been having nightmares and they're afraid to go to bed? Is something going on at school that we don't know about and they're thinking ahead to the next day of school, right? Are they just wanting more choice? Is it just like, I want to do what I want to do, right? So using this process, it does take more time. It does take more patience. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a relationship of trust, with our children so that they recognize that we, we care about their needs and we want them to care about our needs. Um, and we're looking for how to do this thing called life together. You know, I, I can tell you um, an amazing story from a colleague of mine, um, uh, Inbal Kashtan, who uh, really focused a lot on nonviolent communication, the practice of parenting with nonviolent communication. And she really saw this not only um, as a, a powerful way to connect with our children and instill values in them, um, but also as um, a deep form of transformation in ourselves in terms of the level of awareness and self-connection we have and a form of social change that the more we raise our children in this way to be conscious not only of their own needs, but of others' needs, and to have the tools to negotiate that, that we're changing the world. So um, I love this story because it really illustrates the power of these techniques and also the capacity that even very young children have uh, to understand the concept um, that we all have needs and that uh, we can consider others. So um, her parents were over. 
sleeping downstairs very early in the morning, 6 a.m. Her two and a half year old son is banging a metal pole on the floor. So what's a parent's job in that moment, (laughs) right? Get your kid to stop banging the pole so grandma and grandpa can sleep. Yes. And the child's job is to resist you and try to bang the pole. Yes. So fortunately, she has some training in nonviolent communication. So she says to her son, "Um, your grandparents are sleeping and I'm feeling worried because I want them to be able to rest as long as they would like. Would you be willing to bang on the couch or to stop banging? So just a little freeze frame here about what she's doing. So she's using nonviolent communication and it's in a casual way, but she's including all of the different components. So she's making a clear observation, right? She's saying your grandparents are sleeping. That's what's happening, right? And then she's sharing her feelings with her child, what's actually alive in her and why, what her needs are. She's saying, you know, I feel worried. And then why? You know, I want them to be able to rest as long as they would like. And then she does this this wonderful thing of making a request, of inviting the child into a relationship of partnership um, to see if they're willing, not you have to, but are you willing? And she's giving him a couple of ideas, actually saying, would you be willing to bang on the couch or to stop banging? Mm-hmm. So her two and a half year old son, who's you know been using these tools with her already for a while, says, I don't want to but I'm willing. Mm. Amazing, right? So now, so then she asks, she wants to understand. She says, how come you don't want to? And he says, well, it's not waking me up. (laughs) (laughs) So he's trying to wake himself up and he recognizes the strategy that you are offering to me will not meet my need to wake up. (laughs) Right? Okay. And then, so then she says, how come you're willing? And he says, because I want to consider you and grandma and grandpa. Oh my gosh, little wise little being. Yeah, so even very small children can understand this if we take the time to show them and to teach them um, this possibility, you know, that we all have needs and that we want to consider one another and that there's a difference between wanting to do something, like this is what, this is absolutely what I want to do right now. This is the most exciting thing for me. And being willing to, right? There's a lot that we don't want to do in life, but that we're willing to do for different reasons because one of our most core needs is to contribute to others. You know, we as human beings, and this is also at the heart of nonviolent communication, we experience so much joy when we give. It's just how we're wired. Yeah. You know, it's one of the best feelings in life to help, to give, to contribute to others, not because we have to, not because of the obligation and the guilt, just because we want to and we can. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to use these tools uh, to tap into that natural desire to want to give and help. And the only way we can actually start to access that is if we feel like we have choice, if we feel like people aren't demanding things of us then we can actually recognize, yeah, okay, I can see that. I'd be willing to help out. Mm. And in that example you gave, there was, you know, some time and space. Um, how does this, these tools apply when you need to like set a boundary right then or when you just don't have time or energy to negotiate? Like you're trying to get out the door to go to work, right? And they won't put on their shoes. 
Right. Um, right. Or, yeah. you know, going out to dinner, like an often, you know, my, I have a teenager who, you know, walks like a sloth. If anybody asks them to go anywhere, if he's right. going to a baseball game, he's on fire, you know, but <laughs> if he's going to play baseball, if he's doing something he wants to do, he'll move, but he's just like a sloth, you know, and you're trying to get out the door. Like, what do you do then? Totally. You know, um, there's a, there are a few different ways I want to respond to that, Michelle. It's, it's like, I think it's like the key question for parenting. And I want to be, I want to be transparent here um, with everyone who's listening. I don't have kids. Um, I work with kids a lot. I have a lot of friends who have kids, um, but I, I do not have my own children. But from everything that I know and see and understand, like this is one of the most challenging things for parents. That yes. When there's that time pressure mm-hmm. and it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I get that. Like we have choice in life, but we need to leave now. Exactly, <laughs> like, yes. Yes. You know, that's the, that's the level of consciousness. So, um, so there's a, so there's a few things here. And so I'm going to start with, I'm just pausing cause there's like a loud sound outside. A tree came down outside and there's a truck that's doing something. Oh, so I don't hear anything. Okay, great. So we'll just, yeah, I'll keep we'll going. Just, just pause and pause for a second. So she has a little editing space. So I'm going to address this question. I'm going to start with the most general and then work down to the most specific in terms of how we would handle it in the actual moment of the situation. So at the most general level, I think it's, I really want parents and, and I just need to say like, this is like one of the most important jobs in our world and on our planet today is raising children. And it's like, I just feel such deep gratitude and respect for everyone who is raising a child today because it is so hard and it's like the most important thing that we can do. Um, so I, I feel it's, I, I really want to say that. Mm-hmm. And um, the, at, the, at the largest level, uh, I want to acknowledge and, and have this deep wish for parents to recognize the structural factors that are working against all of us, that we live in a society and in a time in history where there is so little support for most parents. And human beings were not meant to live in nuclear families where one or two people were raising children on their own. And so at the largest level, you know, I wanna just give a shout out for as much as possible having more community and having more help and support because those are some of the conditions that are creating this sense of pressure, uh, time pressure and, and, and the, um, the the sense of constriction that makes it so hard to stay connected to our deeper intentions with parenting. So that's that's the first level. The the second level um, is the inner work of nonviolent communication, which is about our level of connection with ourself and where our awareness is. Um, these tools, so much of the work of NVC and mindful communication is not about what we say. It's about how aware and connected we are with ourself and where we're coming from inside. And so the more we are living in the world of our thoughts and our perceptions of you need to do this or, you know, you're being a spoiled brat or why are you being so resistant when we're living in those thoughts, we're constantly reacting to the world because the problem is somewhere out there and 
and then our um, our options are quite limited because the only thing that we can do is change, try to change you or what's happening around me, which as we know is futile. And it was very difficult to change other people. But if we're aware of what's happening in, in ourself on the level of our own feelings and needs, you know, I'm feeling exhausted. I feel exasperated. I really want some support and cooperation. I really want things to go more smoothly. I'm feeling frightened um, I'm, uh, because I need to keep my job and I'm afraid if I don't get to work on time um, that it's going to be a problem. You know, so when we're aware of our experience on that level, it's a much more empowering place than having our attention focused only on the outside world and being reactive to what's happening around us. So this is another uh, component in that moment of, you know, will you please put your shoes on so that we can leave? What am I aware of is happening in myself? And am am I finding ways to, in the flow of my day, to shift my awareness so that I'm more aware of my own feelings and needs and my internal experience? So in the moment, needing to set limits, not having time or energy or resources to do the the process of inquiry and listening and negotiation, um, we can still stay connected to the principles um, by expressing our limits, by, by saying something like, sweetheart, I wish I had more time to figure this out together mommy's really nervous about being late to work and I want you to put on your shoes right now. And I don't, I wish I had another way to do this and I don't right now. So I'm going to just put on your shoes. And what we're doing is we're, we're acknowledging to the child that this is our own limitation, our own limitation of time, of energy, of creativity to find another way and, and on a subtle uh, or not so subtle level, implicitly, we're making sure that they don't get the wrong message that either there's something wrong with them or that we don't care about them or their needs um, and, that, and that we, um, we, we care more about um, them fitting into our world and our agenda than we do about honoring them as a human being. Right. When we use force without explaining why we're doing it, those are the messages implicitly, unconsciously, that, that, that we may be sending and that the child internalizes. And so when we do need to use force, um, you know, in nonviolent communication, we talk about the protective use of force, right? If your child's going to run out into the street, you're not going to start negotiating. Sweetheart, I'm feeling scared. I want you to be safe. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you grab that kid and you restrain them, right? Um, but there's a difference between the, what we call the protective use of force and punitive force. So punitive force has this intention to punish behind it. Some sense of you're wrong. You did something, you're, you're, you did something bad and you're wrong and now you're going to be punished for it versus protective force, which is we use the least amount of force possible for the least amount of time possible with the most amount of love. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So I just want to say one more thing on this. You know, this is not permissive parenting. This is not whatever and anything goes. There are, you know, having structure and limits are are really important. But I think it's essential to be really clear about where are our limits. And I think a lot of the times, 
you know, out of frustration or desperation, desperation, we may set limits with our children that are arbitrary, that aren't actually a real limit where it's like, is this just about, you know, me being tired or wanting respect, wanting things to be easy, you know, and if a child is really saying no to say like, can I let this one go? Like, is this really a must, you know, is this, and, and I think when we do that, when we're constantly checking internally and using discernment to decide what is the boundary, what is the limit here? And then we develop again, a relationship of trust with our children where they know, like, we're not just making stuff up. We're not just saying you have to do this because we don't want to deal with it, but no, this really is important. Mm. Yeah. And where do you suggest a parent start? So before we we're almost out of time, but I would love for you to share and, and maybe you talk about this in the book. Um, so let's say a parent kind of somebody's listening and they, they like the idea of mindfulness, but maybe they don't have a regular meditation practice or mindfulness practice yet, but they're interested in having one and they don't know, they're just learning about nonviolent communication. Where would you suggest they start? Yeah, great question. So um, for mindfulness practice, there's, um, there's some great uh, apps out there that have really um, excellent training with short courses I have some uh, material on an app called 10% Happier. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. There's another one that I work with called Simple Habit. Yeah, me too. I have a yeah. parenting series on there. There you go. So yeah. M- Michelle's parenting series on Simple Habit, my, my relationships and emotions series on 10% Happier. You know, those are really great, simple, accessible ways. One of the things I love about the apps is that, you know, every, it's, it's made to fit into your life. So you don't have to do like a six week online course where you're trying to carve out two hours a week, you know, great if you can do that. But the reality is that a lot of us, you know, we have five or 10 minutes, right? And so that's what the apps are designed for. So I think those are great ways to get started with mindfulness. Um, My relationships course on 10% happier um, is a great introduction to nonviolent communication. They're also releasing um, a new t- uh, series of guided meditations connected to my book, Say What You Mean. Um, and I'll just, I'll just mention here, since we're talking about it, that when folks um, order my book, they get a free subscription to my content on 10% Happier. So that comes with the book. Um, and all, all that information is on my website, uh, orangesofer.com. Uh, as far as starting out with nonviolent communication, um, Obviously, I would I would love to share my book with folks, and yes. <laughs> um, uh, you can start using these tools in your life just by starting to explore this perspective and this concept that everything we do we do to meet a need. And I want to say one or two more words, Michelle, about what I mean by that word "need," because we have a lot of connotations around need in. Uh, American culture. And it doesn't mean being needy. It doesn't mean being demanding. It doesn't mean being selfish. Um, It means our deepest longings and and fundamental values, the the core motivations that drive us as human beings. So by definition, um, this layer of our experience as human beings is universal. It's something that we share with everyone. So um, 
it's, it's stand, it's not like I need you to listen. <laughs> no, no, you're, right. you're, you're the strategy. I want some understanding. I want some empathy, right? Wow. That's what we need. That's what we want in the moment. So if it doesn't open your heart, if it doesn't uh, help you to feel that sense of, yes, I want this, not just for me, but for everyone, then we haven't really gotten down to that level. So just beginning to look at things in this way and to consider, okay, what's important to me here? What matters to me? Mm. What do I really want? What's driving me? And keep asking that question until you really feel clear inside like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is what this is about. This is what it is. And I, right. and I actually have a, the download on my website. I'm just remembering under resources like the NBC, Nonviolent Communication, Feelings yes. and Needs. There's some great just downloads that you can, yeah. free downloads that you can, it's helpful, I think, when you're, you're learning nonviolent communication to yeah. see like, oh, what are the feelings? What are the needs? And then right. be able to identify them. Yeah. And maybe we can even link those in the show notes. I yeah. can send you some copies too, if we want. So those yeah. are great ways to just review those lists of feelings and needs and begin to develop literacy with our own emotional uh, experience and the deeper needs or values that are underneath them. Yeah. And then to remember this principle, this core principle of um, how do I create connection and understanding um, so that we can work together and to, to, to inquire, to focus on what actually matters and come from, come from a sense of curiosity with our children, with other people. Those, those can take you a long distance. Just this genuine intention to understand what actually matters here. Can we really hear each other? And just using that one tool of getting curious, trying to understand what matters to both of us, a lot can be worked out. Mm. Thank you so much, Oren. I'm so excited. I'm so happy to share your new book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication with our podcast community. And we just appreciate your, your time and your presence. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. It's, it's great to be here and get to share this uh, with everyone listening. Really fun. Really yes. Fun. Okay, well, we'll say, we'll say goodbye to you. We'll say goodbye to all of our listeners out there. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.